cooperation deal. Nothing that is said during one of these sessions can be used against the target or against anyone else if an agreement is not worked out. Junior and his lawyers apparently never completed the deal, but that didn't keep them from trying. And as the document indicates, it didn't stop Junior Gotti from giving up information about murders, corrupt cops and politicians, his crime family's influence in the Queen's district attorney's office, and his own wheeling and dealing, including a plan he and an associate had to turn a city garbage dump into the site for a new Bronx house of detention, which he would sell to the city for $20 million. Let Junior Gotti and his lawyers spin that information any way they choose. The document speaks for itself. There was no attempt while writing this book to interview anyone in the Gotti camp. To turn a light story into a he-said-they-said narrative would serve no purpose— the Gaudis deny virtually everything Alight alleges. Alight, on the other hand, denies very little. His version of the events that marked his life, a version that federal authorities adopted when they put him under oath on the witness stand, is a story of murder, money, and betrayal. It's one man's life of crime, a seduction of sorts that made him rich, turned him terribly violent, and very nearly got him killed on a dozen different occasions. It may also be a story of redemption, but that's a question that can't be answered at this point. The backdrop is the Gotti family and the American Mafia. More accurately, the Gotti family and the demise of the American Mafia. No one individual has had more to do with the once-secret society coming apart at the seams than John J. Gotti. Gotti was a mob boss who loved the spotlight, a celebrity gangster who thumbed his nose at the conventional wisdom of the old-time wise guys. Their idea was to make money, not headlines. Gotti thought he could do both. For a long time, he did. He and his son embodied the me generation of the mob. Junior, for the purpose of this story, he's referred to as Junior, even though he and his father had different middle names, was a spoiled, self-absorbed, second-generation gangster whose sense of entitlement was his undoing. He was all about status and power— he liked the idea of being a mobster, but never really understood how it worked. Smug and arrogant, bullies in expensive suits, the Gaudis played by their own set of rules, rules that allowed them to do whatever they wanted to whomever they wanted. That was part of the hypocrisy of the Gaudi crime family. The image they projected didn't mesh with the reality. Even the dapper Don moniker was phony, according to Alight. If Gotti Sr. didn't have an associate picking out his clothes and telling him how to dress, the former thug and hijacker would have dressed like, well, a thug and hijacker, clashing plaids and stripes and colors rather than the cool, sophisticated elegance that became his trademark. The media, of course, helped create the image. John J. Gotti on the cover of Time magazine, in boldface on page six of the New York Post, a soundbite, a pithy quote, bleeding the evening news. John Gotti was the face of the American Mafia at the end of the 20th century, and his son coming on his heels, extending the reign. It could be argued that Cosa Nostra was on the way out even before the Gottis got on stage. Second- and third-generation Italian-Americans, in fact, make lousy gangsters. The best and the brightest in that community are now doctors, lawyers, educators. The mob is scraping the bottom of the gene pool. That's where the Gaudis were located. Add more sophisticated law enforcement, high-tech electronic surveillance, and the RICO Act, 
and it's clear the deck was stacked against the American mafia. Throw in the death of Omerta, the code of silence that was the foundation for the wall of secrecy that once protected the honored society. And also consider this. The mafia was always a front, a facade, a fugazi, if you will. Mario Puzo, Francis Ford Coppola, and Martin Scorsese have built stories around the life, and the public has developed a perception based on those wonderfully written, directed, and acted fictions. The reality is that if there ever was nobility and honor, and I'm not sure there was, it disappeared two or three generations ago. The American Mafia took the value system of the Italian-American community and bastardized it for its own benefit. The concepts of honor, fierce family loyalty, and respect, concepts that were and are as common and as expected in most Italian-American homes as spaghetti and meatballs for dinner on Sunday...